1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five why one of the world's biggest money managers is throwing cold water on the recent big tech bounce back. Showdown in Houston as Exxon shareholders vote today on whether to give in to one big hedge fund and dump four board members. Move toward a more carbon friendly future. Diamond, Moynihan, Solomon, and more big bank CEOs descending on Capitol Hill, defending their response to the global pandemic. Is the inflation trade unraveling already? Could big moves in commodities be signaling the recent move to all time highs may already be at an end? And your RBI is the super rare list of just 11 stocks. Goldman Sachs says both hedge funds and mutual funds love right now. The list, the names, just for you. On this Wednesday, May 26th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. It's 5 a.m. That's early. But here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Stock futures, they are higher once again. Right now, could be another good day on the street of dreams. Dow futures up 87. NASDAQ futures up 35 points right now. The Dow, by the way, and the Russell 2000 did break a three-day win streak on Tuesday, but a fairly muted day. Volume was down. Still, we are seeing futures higher. Now, overall, it has been a pretty rough month of May for technology. The Nasdaq 100 on pace for its worst performance since all the way back in October. Now, in the meantime, what's old is new again, and the oldest commodity of all keeps moving higher. Of course, that is gold at its highest level since January, and gold higher once again right now, up by eight bucks to 1902, and creeping back toward that $2,000 per ounce mark. And of course, we've got to check the most volatile market of all recently, and that is the crypto trade, and we are seeing a move higher right now. Bitcoin up 8% to 40,000, 264, back above 40,000. Ethereum up 13% to 2859. We are seeing gains across the board in most of the major traded coins and currencies on the digital side right now. All right, as always, more in the markets and your money coming up in just a couple of moments. But right now, to some of this morning's top stories, including why tensions continue to grow between the United States and China. Christina Porcinevolos is here with that and more. Christina, good morning.
2: Good morning, Brian. Like you said, tensions between the United States and China growing louder on Capitol Hill. This after the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee introduced sweeping new legislation aimed at boosting United States economic competitiveness and pushing China on its human rights violations. The introduction of the Ensuring American Global Leadership and Engagement Act, or Eagle Act, comes as the Senate heads towards a vote on its own legislative package seeking to counter China. Tesla says it's ditching radar when it comes to driver assistance tech. In a blog post, the company says starting this month, its Model 3 and Model Y vehicles made for the United States and Canada would instead feature a camera-only-based system for adaptive cruise control and automatic lane-keeping. Radar sensors are relatively expensive, and processing data from them takes significant computing power in a vehicle. Tesla has previously told shareholders that it believes a vision-only system is ultimately all that is needed for full autonomy. And Federal Reserve Vice Chairman Richard Claridia, the central bank's number two official, join, joining a growing chorus within the bank that says the time is nearing for a shift in the Fed's guidance around the, its easy, or easy money policies. Clarida saying, quote, there will come a time in upcoming meetings will be at the point where we can begin to discuss scaling back the pace of asset purchases. The Fed's next policy meeting is scheduled for June 15th and 16th. Brian? Back to you.
1: All right. Thank you, Christina. And that meeting will indeed be a big one. We'll see it in a few minutes. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, back to the markets and your money. You're welcome. And the show is called Worldwide Exchange. So let's keep the world in focus because, well, of course, we focus on the United States markets a ton a lot. Why not? We're here. The rest of the world, particularly Europe, is quietly booming in the equity markets. They're not only higher right now. But in fact, as their vaccination rates rise, so too have their markets. And here is a list of major European nation stock markets that are at or near all-time highs. France, Germany, Spain, Switzerland, Denmark, Austria, Poland, and even Russia. So it's great to get a global view on all of this with Mark Haefeli. He is Chief Investment Officer at UBS Global Wealth Investment. Mark, good to have you on the CNBC Newsline You work for a bank that is based in Switzerland. The European markets, including Switzerland, have quietly done exceptionally well. Do you believe maybe, just maybe, the European markets are a better equity market value than the U.S. right now? Yes or no?
0: Yes, that Americans need to diversify and follow this reflation trade as it moves around the world. But the next stop is Japan. And we've gone overweight in Japanese equities because we think they're, they're going to be the next economy that really sees that reopening kickstart.
1: Still, because the Nikkei 225 has also had a very, very strong last six to nine months.
0: Well, look, all these markets are strong. And when we talk to clients, I think we we even have a little bit of a frustration that they're so pinned on where the average is without looking at what is happening to the earnings growth. Now, the United States, which we still like, I mean, it's surprised to the upside on the earnings growth this quarter. We think it's going to be a monster year for earnings growth. And that's brought down that PE ratio from kind of the nosebleed levels that it appeared even six months ago.
1: Yeah, and it's really amazing. I mean, you look at a couple of trillion dollars on the balance sheets of companies in the S&P 500, a couple of trillion dollars sitting in consumer bank accounts around the world. Global central banks still providing helicopter money to most of the world. I mean, I don't know if there's been a time in 25 years of doing this, Mark, where I have said it is more difficult to be bearish simply because of the amount of cash sitting around the world. Is that Is that part of your thesis right now or is it kind of a cherry on top well look the 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 elements of support for this
0: market that you described are absolutely part of our thesis but what i think is so interesting is that we really have not seen the private clients around the world make that rotation into the reflation the reflation trade we still see a lot of investors who are maintaining their stay-at-home stocks, maintaining their exposure to the mega-cap tech stocks. And what we're saying is, you know, look a little bit beyond that. Rebalance that side of your portfolio more in line with the sector allocations, say, in the S&P 500 or other indices, and look below the large indices to some of the smaller caps to the energy names, to the materials names, to the financials that just haven't rebounded but should do well in this new environment.
1: Yeah, and your note to clients, I think late last night said, more bluntly, the mega cap tech trade may not be over, but there's not a lot of catalysts out there. Talk to us about why and also how much you focus on crypto because it's in the first paragraph of your note. You talk about crypto and its relationship to the mega cap tech stocks. I, I imagine a couple of years ago, Mark, you never thought you'd be talking about Bitcoin in your in your client equity newsletter. How much does crypto and tech move together and matter together?
0: Well, it's a great question. First, on the mega cap tech, I think that uh, you know what we would say is find those long term tech themes that you want to stick with. Maybe look to the smaller cap names. Maybe it's around health tech. Maybe it's around fintech. Uh, and certainly, because we don't think inflation is going to run away, we do think growth will have its its day again. But the valuations are stretched on the mega cap tech. The regulatory environment uh, is not the most positive it's been, and that's why we, we're looking to other sectors. Now, On crypto we take we everything we do is in a portfolio asset allocation context because we believe asset allocation is the most important driver of portfolio growth for clients and in that context you have to look at crypto is it diversifying your portfolio and what we're finding is that it's actually not that great of a portfolio diversifier both the the tech and the crypto are a little more linked in the way they trade and then secondly You know, if you have an asset that sells off, if you, if you, if the stock market sold off 50% in a week because somebody tweeted, every policymaker in Washington would be working to help the stock market get back on its feet. When that happens with crypto assets, Washington and China are looking at, do we need more regulation? Do we need to take further steps? And that's yeah. not a long-term positive for the asset, which means you have to have it such a small part of your portfolio. For most people, they really just can't spend the time on this, this portfolio allocation.
1: No, they can't, but it's an excellent point. Regulators kind of struggling to catch up there. But Mark Hefley says, look around the world. The reflation trade is strong, and you are, Mark, big in Japan. And we appreciate you coming on this morning. Thank you very much. All right, we are just getting going. And when we come back, what's got the so-called meme stocks back in vogue and shares, yeah, a GameStop surging again. Plus, they call it Indonesia's super app. Everything from payments to food delivery and ride hailing and a possible $30 billion IPO. We speak with Disruptor, CEO of Gojek, next.
4: Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at JohnDeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All
1: right, welcome back. It is time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning you need to hear about. Stock number one, Vimeo. Under pressure again, after dropping big time, the company's first day as a standalone company. Video software and streaming company was spun off from Barry Diller's IAC on Monday. And shares have been under pressure pretty much ever since. Stock two, yeah, GameStop up again. It jumped more than 16% yesterday to the highest level since late March. Rallying as investors shift back into the old favorites. It posted huge gains earlier in the year. GameStop up another 5%. Look at the year to date. It's up 1,000%. That is not a misprint. And stock number three, Zscaler, popping. After the cybersecurity company posted better-than-expected third-quarter results and gave upbeat guidance, Zscaler also buying smokescreen technologies. That's a company that focuses on phishing, ID theft, and digital theft, as well as other other digital threats. Zscaler up 10% right now, but down year-to-date. All right, on deck. Call it the supercharged change trade. Dana Telsey is here on which retailers are ready to take your money at the mall and make you money in the market. That's ahead.
2: People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP.
0: Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.
1: It is Disruptor 50 time, our exclusive list of the 50 most important private companies in the world. And this one, is a biggie. Coming in at number 18, Indonesia based Gojek, a self proclaimed super app that encompasses everything from ride hailing to food delivery to digital payments, even movie ticket booking. It has got a $10 billion valuation, and the company's investors include high profile names like Google, Tencent, and Visa. It is Indonesia's first unicorn after being launched 11 years ago. Joining us now is Gojek, CEO. Kevin Alui, Kevin, welcome, congratulations. Back on the disruptor list, number 18, and quite possibly not only the biggest IPO in Indonesia ever, but one of the biggest in Asia ever, assuming you go that route, which I, which I believe that you ultimately probably will be. How have you grown, pivoted, and adjusted during the pandemic because you went from basically kind of a boring old ride-hailing company to the king of all apps in Indonesia.
5: Thanks for having me, Brian. And, and it's an honor for, for us to be on this list uh, on the second time, actually, uh, with such amazing companies, many of which we uh, continue to really look up to. And uh, uh, it reminds us you know, how, how far we have yet to go to, to, to really get to where we want to be. Um, look you know from from day one uh, uh gojek was actually you know not just a ride-hailing company you know, we we started with you know, by looking at the motorcycle taxi driver as a human being who could do many things to solve customer needs in gridlock jakarta and here in indonesia um and you know that approach is what allowed us to be a pioneer in this space um, so even though most people in the early days probably knew us as mostly a ride-hailing uh, company, uh, we've been offering everything from ride-hailing to food delivery, package delivery, grocery deliveries uh, uh, on our uh, driver platform from 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 day one, and uh, we've just kind of kicked off from from, from there when we start adding. Uh, uh, payments and financial services, as you mentioned in the, the opening just now, uh, movie tickets. Um, we really wanted to have a very customer-centric and customer-first view. And, and, and considering all of the challenges in, in Indonesia and in Southeast Asia, uh, putting all of those together uh, into uh, one single app just made a lot of sense, uh, given, uh, given the, the region's dynamics.
1: Do you have a model, Kevin? You're obviously, because of ride hailing, people say, oh, well, they're Uber, but then they do this. You're kind of a DoorDash. Oh, well, they, they do that. They're kind of a square. On the payment side, do you have a company that you look at and say, that's who we want to be, or are you kind of trying to be the best parts of a few different big names?
5: Well, we draw, we draw inspiration from, from all of the world's uh, uh, big names. And- uh, but what we endeavor to be is is, is, is Gojek. Uh, we, we hope and we know that actually today in, in many developing economies all around the world, uh, there are companies being started saying that, oh, we want to be the Gojek of X country, uh, where, we're, where these companies are trying to pull together various different services uh, onto the same uh, driver network on, uh, and pull all kinds of different customers into the same single uh, consumer app. Um, and so... We we, we hope to be an inspiration for for, for other companies, even as we draw inspiration from the best of breed and and all those companies you mentioned and and more. Uh, We do see that the the industry and the the market in Indonesia and the rest of Southeast Asia is unique. And so having this multi-service approach all in one single platform is one that we really think addresses um, the the needs of our consumers, our drivers and our merchants uh, all all across uh, Indonesia and Southeast Asia.
1: Well, you just did the biggest deal in Indonesian history buying Tokopedia. Now you've got what's called GoTo. I see what you did there. Gojek Tokopedia is almost a perfect match for a PR person. GoTo group. Why do the deal? What is GoTo and what will GoTo be going to do?
5: Uh, let me clarify that, Brian. You know, we, we did not uh, acquire Tokopedia. This is actually a combination of equals uh, between the two companies. Uh, the two companies have had a very long and storied relationship uh, uh, dating back from 2015 already. Um, and the reason why we decided to come together right now is we we, we recognize that we could do so much more together. Um, this is the first Uh, This is the first integrated platform in the world, I believe, uh, where we have e-commerce in the form of Tokopedia, on-demand services, which include ride hailing and food delivery uh, in Gojek, and payments and financial services uh, in in, in GoPay, or or today renamed as GoToFinancial. So this is really a unique ecosystem uh, in the world, uh, which we really believe can deliver just really, really great products, uh, for, for our consumers and our drivers and our merchants. Um, mm-hmm. and we thought that by coming together, uh, uh, we could, um, we could really extend the impact and the reach, uh, uh, of our combined businesses and products so much more than we could, um, as standalone companies.
1: Well, whatever you're doing, it, it continues to work. Kevin and Louis Gojek just continues to fire on all cylinders. I'm sure your, your alumni, uh, USC uh, fundraisers are calling you every day now to say, hey, Kevin, why don't you (laughs) contribute to the Trojans? We we miss and love you here in Pasadena. Kevin Aloui, number 18 Disruptor list, second year in a row. Kevin, thank you for coming on and uh, good luck. Stay in touch.
5: Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here.
1: All right. You're very welcome. All right. As always, more Disruptor CEOs all day long here on CNBC. All right, right now, let's step outside the world of business. Find out what is happening elsewhere, including some new hope for both cruise lovers and moon lovers. I'm told Philip Mena may be one of those two, and he's in New York now with those headlines and more. Philip.
6: More of the latter. Brian, good morning. Uh, The criminal probe of Donald Trump enters new territory. Uh, Prosecutors in New York have convened a grand jury to consider possible criminal charges against the former president, his company, and its executives. That's according to a report in The Washington Post, citing two people familiar with developments. This is a major step, indicating that Cyrus Vance's investigation has reached an advanced stage and that Manhattan's Democratic District Attorney may have found evidence of a crime. President Trump responded to the report with a lengthy statement calling the investigation, quote, a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in American history. The D.A. is investigating a host of issues involving the Trump organization's taxes, how it reported its assets to get loans and how top executives were paid. The Trump organization has denied any wrongdoing. Meanwhile, there is new hope that the cruise line industry could soon reopen. In a Facebook post, the CEO of Royal Caribbean International says it has received approval from the CDC for one of its ships to begin simulated voyages in June. The cruise line's Freedom of the Seas ship will be allowed to sail in U.S. waters with volunteer passengers on board. And uh, finally, if you get a chance this morning, you really should go out and look at the Moon. There is quite a celestial show this morning. It's a rare superflower blood moon. A total lunar eclipse is coinciding with the supermoon, which is when a full moon is at its closest point to Earth in its orbit. The eclipse will be visible across the Western Americas and islands in the Pacific. But Brian, unfortunately for us, we're here on the East Coast. We don't get quite the same show uh, as our friends out west.
1: And we've got some weird video running of like a video game that has nothing to do with the moon. But (laughs) our friend that we just interviewed, Kevin Aloui, (laughs) in Jakarta, is going to have a spectacular view of not only a blood moon, but a super blood moon. I know as a moon lover, Philip Mena, you are very jealous, as am I. Philip, thank you. All right, Brian. He's like, why do I do this? All right, coming up. (laughs) Thank you, Philip. Coming up. Is the inflation trade already unraveling? How's that for a pivot? Why speculative bets and key commodities, yeah, like corn, there's wheat, could be winding down. And if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast, available on all the major podcasting platforms. And time is running out. CNBC auctioning off a non-fungible token in honor of our late friend, the great Mark Haynes, and his famous 2009 Haynes bottom call. The auction ends today at 10.30 bids are rolling in coming in hot and heavy if you want to bid or just check it out go to mintable.app slash cnBC you got five minutes left good thing is Dow futures are up so you can afford to bid more we're back right after this Getting back on track. Stocks looking to regain some momentum amid fresh uncertainty around the inflation trade. Futures, they are higher. A battle royale over Exxon. Shareholders voting to shake up the boardroom as a new hedge fund goes after what was once the world's largest company. And your RBI knocks it out of the park today by naming just the 11 stocks that top both Goldman Sachs's hedge fund VIP and mutual fund over lists: 11 names just for you. Get your pens or pencils ready. It is Wednesday, May 26th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back. It is exactly 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And here's how your money and investments look right now. Futures, they are looking pretty good on this Wednesday morning. Dow futures now up triple digits, up more than 100. NASDAQ futures up about four-tenths of 1% as well. A lot of green on that screen. Now, outside of equities, there are some new signs the inflation trade may starting to unravel just a bit. Do you remember this wall that we brought to you in our RBI from a few weeks back? everything at record highs, corn to lumber, semiconductors, sugar, ships, copper. I can't do it again. Well, check out the action. Maybe we called the top. Check out the action in corn futures in the past day. A sharp move lower. Some new concerns that maybe there's just too much corn out there to meet supply. It's one thing, by the way, but including yesterday's pullback, corn futures still up 28% this year and have nearly doubled over the past year. Well, It's not just corn, of course. We're not going to make hay. Ha! Out of one commodity. Soybeans down about 5% this week. You've got, what is that, a lima bean? A pea? I don't know what that other one is. You've got sugar or salt down as well. And orange juice down about one half of 1%. Not huge moves, but given all the talk about commodity price inflation, we thought you should know. That's some of the commodities that, by the way, you probably buy or at least buy stuff that are made out of at the store are starting to slow down just a bit. So there you go corn, lima beans, sugar, and some sort of juice are down. All right, let's get more out of your morning top headlines, including the battle over the future of ExxonMobil. Christina Partsenevalos is back with more on that and your headlines. Christina.
2: Thank you, Brian. And it was soybeans, by the way. By the way, ExxonMobil is set to face off one of its biggest challenges yet from one investment group, pressuring the oil giant to address the growing risks of climate change tied to the fossil fuel industry. The company's shareholders will vote today on a bid by engine number one to claim four seats on Exxon's board. Meanwhile, reports say that BlackRock, Exxon's second largest shareholder, is throwing its support behind several of engines' picks to join the board. Several CEOs from some of America's biggest banks are heading to Capitol Hill today. J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon, Citi's Jane Frazier, Morgan Stanley's James Gorman, Bank of America's Brian Moynihan, Wells Fargo's Charles Scharf and Goldman Sachs' David Sullivan will face the Senate Banking Committee today and the House Financial Service Committee tomorrow. They're expected to face questions over a drop in lending to consumers and businesses over the past year and efforts to fight systemic racism. Republicans are also expected to grill the CEOs on claims of, quote, woke capitalism over corporate America's focus on progressive social causes. And Uber's CEO says he's not happy with how long it's taking for drivers to pick up riders or the prices customers are being charged. Speaking yesterday, he said demand for rides has outpaced the supply of drivers as more people start to travel again, adding that the situation is getting better as more drivers are getting vaccinated. Uber announced last month they would spend $250 million on a one-time stimulus aimed at getting drivers back on the road. Brian, last Saturday I tried to go from Brooklyn Brooklyn. To West Chelsea, Saturday night, $100. I took the subway and a city bike instead.
1: Well, the MTA thanks you because their budget's in shambles. Yeah. so They appreciate that. But 100 bucks, <laughs> yeah, that is serious. I guess there's no more taxis. What about the yellow Oh, yeah, you know, I, I light struggled. On, Lower stick...
2: east side trying raise to raise your hand. On. Yeah, it didn't work. A lot of other people were doing the same.
1: Oh, there you go. Listen, at least the signs the city is coming back, Christina. It's kind of, in a weird way, good news, I guess. We'll see in a few minutes. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, let's talk retail because earnings, they have absolutely destroyed expectations so far this quarter. And there's still a number of companies that have yet to report their numbers. Joining us now for a look at the sector's winners and losers and where we're going to be maybe spending and making some money ahead is Dana Telsey, CEO of and Chief Research Officer at Telsey Advisory Group. You know, Dana, blowing out earnings expectations for the first quarter, given that the world kind of shut down in early to mid-March, is like going from a D-minus to a C-minus. I mean, it's an improvement, but I'm not sure anybody would call it good. The question is, where is the money going to be spent going forward? What are the trends that you see from your 30,000-foot perch?
3: So exactly what you said, Brian, I agree. It's not exactly compared to last year, but everyone has to compare it to 2019. And what's interesting is we're seeing some companies being able to come in at or above 2019 levels. So what I see coming in, I think there's expectations of pent-up demand. It's happening. I'm seeing consumer spending power being super significant, stimulus, high savings rate, and tax refunds. And now the child tax care credit's coming all putting dollars in the consumer po- consumer's pocket. And while 2020 was about essentials, 2021 with more vaccinations, gatherings are coming. So we're beginning to hear luggage sales are strong, apparel's improving, denim is solid, footwear, even dressy footwear is becoming beginning to come back. Look what Urban Outfitters talked about last night, dresses and going out apparel doing well. And even luxury goods is maintaining its growth rate Given that their high end consumer has maintained their spending power. And guess what? Home is continuing to do well, and digital is continuing to grow even as stores reopen. So there's a healthy demand out there. Travel's part of it, experiences is part of it. And since people haven't seen each other in over a year, they wanna look good when they do. Don't forget makeup too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, those Dana are things that are harder to buy online harder to try let's let's be clear returning stuff stinks i know they're trying to make it easier i get it but it's still a process you got to recycle you got to try your makeup whatever it might be how much is foot traffic coming back
3: it's coming back more in suburbs than in cities the south is doing better by than the north but the north is improving Foot traffic is still down versus last year and even versus two years ago. Cities are definitely worse. You just had the segment about Christina getting a taxi. Look at Manhattan. It's improving, but it's not back to where it was. We need tourists. We need people back in offices in order to really get that foot traffic back. But overall, in the pure A enclosed malls, it's doing really well. And outdoor centers and strip centers, it's there. It's about grocery anchored, where basically people are doing their grocery shopping while also doing their other shopping. Take a look at the TJ Maxx's of the world, which are in strip centers and outdoor centers, lifestyle centers. It's improving. You're seeing it even in some outlets, too.
1: Yeah. What's your one of your best bets right now, Dana.
3: I thought Urban Outfitters did a great job last night. They're well-positioned for, the, for the back half of the year. I think Deckers is doing really well, and we're going to have back-to-school, so that's going to be good for Children's Place. So I think we're seeing pent up to for discretionary.
1: Isn't that nice to hear, back-to-school for the kids? It's actually going to happen. I mean, e- even in L.A., they're like, oh, maybe kids will be back in school in the fall. Absolutely, yes. Dana Telsey. He- Great stuff. We're getting back out there in the stores. Dana, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. All right, speaking of deckers, on deck, call it shrimp sticker shock. While the price of nearly all seafood has soared, have you bought crab lately, by the way? And where it's likely going ahead. Dow futures up 130 NASDAQ up again. A lot of green on the screen. And we're back right after this. All right. Welcome back. Just another reminder to get bidding on the Mark Haynes Market Bottom Call NFT bidding ends at 1030 a.m. Eastern Time this morning. You want to bid? And I know you do. Go to Mintable.app CNBC. I think it's at like 80,000 bucks right now. All right. Now to more big money stock stories, including a name that Dana Telsey just talked about like three minutes ago. Stock one, Toll Brothers, higher second quarter sales and profit demand for housing just continues to boom. Stock two, Urban Outfitters. That's the one Dana just said she loved at the end of the segment. Last segment, shares higher, results were solid. Stock up 8% in the pre-market. Watch them. And stock three, another retailer, but going in the other direction. And that is Nordstrom. Sales dropping. It loaded up on too much inventory. Had to cut prices. A lot of foot traffic in Nordstrom areas was down still in the first quarter. Stock off 6%. We'll see if that turns around as everything, even New Jersey, reopens this weekend. All right, well, we recently talked about how your weekend barbecue is going to cost you more because things like the price of pork and steak and lamb all hitting record. Who's having lamb at a barbecue? Either way, all meat prices are up. And if you were hoping to save a few bucks by going with seafood, that's not going to help. In fact, it's probably going to set you back a few bucks. Let's bring in Angel Rubio, senior analyst for Ernerberry, a business publisher that specializes in reporting on the meat industry and in one of my favorite towns, Toms River, New Jersey's most well-known companies. hell, thanks for joining us. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this because literally I was at the grocery store the other day. My wife said, hey, let's make crab cakes. I said, that sounds great. I picked up a one pound can of crab. It was $49. Put the crab back down, walk to the hot dog aisle. What the heck is going on with the price of seafood? Well, as
7: what everybody would say, good question. But it's, it's very simple. I mean, in many ways, it would be, it would come down to fundamentals, uh, you know, supply and demand. Uh, but it's what the combination of this will be. Like your, that kind of crab meat is, is, is a combination of both. There's a strong demand. There was a strong demand at retail for all last year. But there's also, uh, you know, lower imports. We have been bringing in less product out of Indonesia, which is our largest supplier of that canned crab meat, that refrigerated canned crab. Um, And so far this year, fishing has also been uh, lower. So of course that drives the price of U.S. importers um, that are buying from somewhere else into into the U.S. and then that obviously get passed along into the consumer ultimately.
1: Yeah. Is that, is that really it? I mean, specifically with crab and maybe with shrimp or salmon to a smaller part, is that just imports have slowed down as well? We, I did not really <clears throat> realize until researching for this interview how much we rely on imports for seafood. I mean, is the American fishing industry all but over? Um,
7: no, no, it depends on the it depends really on the on the species. Right. So, um, just to give you an example, with shrimp, you know, it's about eighty percent, or probably more, of all the shrimp that you consume is imported. Um, salmon, most of, most of the salmon that you're you're bringing in is is farmed either from Chile or or Norway, and then you have your wild fisheries in in Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. That's, but that's a separate right. That, that's a separate fishery. No, the, the the fishing industry in the U.S. is is well and good. So it's actually a, a pretty remarkable and sustainable fisheries as well. But it depends on, on, on the species as well. But I think, it, it, you know, these prices, these rising prices rely more also, or at least recently through the, you know, the food service demand recovery over the past eight to 10 weeks, which comes in as a, you know, supply, I mean, as a, as a demand shock, uh, as, aside from the strong retail demand. So you have both both ends coming in very strong.
1: Yeah, I mean you go to the A one Seafood Center there on on Route thirty-seven, heading into Seaside Park and in, in Tom's River. I mean, it is a little bit of a sticker shock. Is there any sign, hell that things are going to turn down or are prices likely to just keep going higher? What do you see in the future?
7: So we focus on wholesale wholesale prices, right? This is these are prices that are trading. You know, when you're trading a load, you're trading half half a load. People, your your wholesalers, distributors. We um, to right now just king crabs, snow crab, and lobster are at uh, are at record highs right now. Uh, shrimp is not at record highs, but is is rising really rapidly now. Uh, salmon, Chilean salmon hit record highs yesterday, and and for now at least on shrimp, we we still see more pressure going up. Um, Salmon is probably going to to sit somewhere where we are right now, but then again, you you never know. Uh, you know, you know, high prices take care of high prices, but but with commodities, um, some of these prices can yeah. can reach new highs. You know, so yeah, it it, it it all depends. For now, it's it's
1: it's pretty scary. It really is. I mean, the prices are pretty remarkable as well, and maybe we'll get out with some of these fishermen coming out of Brielle or these other ports there. Angel Rubio of Erner Berry with the Seafood Spike story. Angel, thank you very much. By the way, check out China, The great sushi thank rolls you. right there on the water in Tom's River. Angel, thank you very much. Okay. All right. On deck. It is your morning RBI. And this is a biggie. The only 11 stocks that make two different Goldman Sachs lists. We'll name names. And if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast, all the major podcasting platforms. And a reminder that May is Asian-American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Here's our colleague and friend, Lan Moy.
6: I grew up in a traditional
2: Vietnamese household where respect for your elders and respect for authority, that was paramount. But I was also living in a country where the most successful people were often the most outspoken. So over the course of my career, I really had to learn how to balance those two extremes how to step outside of my cultural comfort zone and ask some tough questions of people in power while still fundamentally believing that hard work will be rewarded.
1: Time for your morning RBI. And this one, a very special and select list just for you, well, and Goldman Sachs clients, of course, because it's their list. And it's a pretty rare group of stocks, just the 11 names that are on both Goldman Sachs's hedge fund VIP list and big overweight at mutual funds lists. Here's how it works. Goldman scours more than 800 hedge funds and nearly 600 mutual funds to find the stocks that overlap in favorites between the two groups. Now, there aren't many, as we said, just 11. But here are the names that are falling into both of those baskets. They don't rank them. They just put them in alphabetical order. So here you go. Adobe, Bank of America, Citigroup, Fiserv, General Motors, MasterCard, Schwab Square, UnitedHealth, Visa, and Wells Fargo. 11 names that mutual funds overweight and hedge funds seem to love. Rarified air indeed. Now, you may notice, hmm, there seems to be a lot of financials on that list. Well, that's no accident Number, for two reasons. Number one, the prospect of higher rates, of course, have made financials more attractive. But Goldman also notes it's because many funds are able to overweight some banks and financials based on the fund's proxy or whatever it is. So they may have sort of an artificial overweight. Whatever the reason, it means there is a lot of interest and ownership in those names. And it's not something that is well publicized. Except, of course, right now on Worldwide Exchange in our RBI, because who else gets this random But interesting, 11 names you need to pay attention to. Well, let's stick with that theme and bring in Oppenheimer Asset Management Chief Justice Strategist John Stolfitz. John, what do you think of financials? Are you guys as as hot on the big banks as many hedge funds and mutual funds seem to be?
4: Well, we're we're nicely diversified across the S&P 500 sectors. I don't know if we'll be as, uh, as overweight as the more aggressive players will be, but we've been looking for uh, the, the banks to, to, to perform better. And they certainly have this year one of the best performing sectors uh, for the S&P 500. Uh, but we, we'd be very careful. We're not traders. We're intermediate to longer term investors. Uh, and so we're, we, we might not be as aggressive as, as if we were trading.
1: Do you think the interest rate environment, which, by the way, I mean, for all the talk of inflation, the bond market's done nothing for a month. In fact, if anything, yields have gone down. Is the interest rate environment favorable for certain equities and unfavorable for others? Or can big tech just continue to roll?
4: Well, I, I think the problem for, for big tech has been that investors, this uh, since last September, have been diversifying into uh, the value uh, category. Uh, and so value is outperforming growth, and that's going to hit tech. Uh, but we can't help but think in this kind of environment with the last I looked, the 10-year treasury was around 1.57% this morning. Uh, with that at around that, we'd have to think that it's good for tech. Uh, and frankly, Brian, we're looking for tech and consumer discretionary to begin to perform much better after we get through the second quarter.
1: Much be- Why is that? Don't we buy the rumors, sell the actual sales?
4: <laughs> well, we, what, we have to, what we have to think here is you've got an economy that's improving. You've had uh, materials, financials, uh, real estate uh, uh, bid fairly heavily uh, and, and uh, technology uh, pretty much ignored uh, this year. Uh, and we can't help but think the reality is technology is deeply embedded in the lives of both. Consumers as well as business, of course, it, you know, with, with that, as the reopening happens, everybody's on an upgrade cycle. It doesn't matter if you're a business or a consumer. Uh, we think we move ahead. We don't think technology has plateaued. Yeah. And just like it helped us in the crisis, it will help us coming out of the crisis.
1: Yeah, you, if you bought stocks when, when things were worse, you made some money. We just had a guest on at the beginning of the show talking about the world. We talked about how France and Germany and Spain—they're on record highs. We don't talk about it much, but their markets are quietly soaring. They're probably three to six months behind us in terms of vaccinations. Some cases in Japan as well. Is it a better opportunity to buy stocks in Europe and Asia now than the U.S. given they're they're kind of behind us in where they are in the reopen?
4: you can't help but think so uh, brian we, we've been, uh, We've been overweight the u s with meaningful exposure to developed and emerging markets internationally, and the developed international markets happen to be very interesting because they are a lot of value plays, and a lot of the plays that will that a, a lot of uh, japan and, and Europe are dedicated exporters, and as the rest of the world comes back. Uh, they're going to do a lot of business. So we continue to like Europe. Uh, we, like, we like small caps and large caps in the developed international markets at this time.
1: John Stolfus of Oppenheimer. John, a real pleasure to get you on, looking around the world. Always appreciate your views. Have a great day, John. Thanks. You too, Brian. Are well, you very welcome. And by the way, I'm just going to throw this out there. Given the name of our show, Worldwide Exchange, I propose a, like, three-week around the world Let's Examine Equities from the Ground Tour, and I know just the person to do it. I'm ready, CNBC. Let's go. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Same place. Squawk Box, the gang, picking it up is Dow Futures up triple digits. Have a great day, wherever in the world you may be.